If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the success report. The success report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Darnell Samuels and Joel Nikoloff. And uh, on that note, The Sixth Sense, you guys know what that's all about. It's it's about my two cents, Darnell's two cents, and the people's two cents. So um, we have an, an audio clip from a, a listener from uh, our second episode, Full Day Kindergarten. And uh, they're just giving us some their comments uh, on what they thought and, and maybe some additional points. Yeah, so the sex, the, the section is called your two cents and we just want to hear from you so roll the clip full day kindergarten really is only a benefit to working class parents and teachers union and less of a benefit to the child reports actually state that kids who go into full day kindergarten fail in emotional maturity communication skills and general knowledge and again this is because they have been removed from the family care too early in addition to special needs kids actually struggling even more showing that the system of full day kindergarten is actually failing them more than helping them and the so-called benefit that they see at the advantage of full day kindergarten in these children is actually short-termed and lost by the time that they go into grade one again because full day kindergarten has been so play-based and primary grades are skilled-based learning and the ratio has been changed from 20 to 3 to maybe 23 to 1 still leaving them struggling again to reintegrate by the time they reach the end of grade one and grade two my whole thing is early education the best place for that is the home because a parent will be able to help their child on a one-on-one basis kids will learn life skills emotionally communication on all levels the parent is the best person for that child to learn from for their early education so um thank you for for your your feedback i i would say for the most part i think listener was in agreement to a lot of the maybe more so questions that we raised um you know around the fact that the article wasn't addressing the cost benefit side of things wasn't really addressing you know is this good is it bad it wasn't really an objective side i mean she's kind of siding with the some of the stuff that we quoted and and the other studies that are out there um right suggesting that you know it's it's not a good efficient use of taxpayers money yeah and also you know she she said she was raising three boys um and she's actually living out what we're talking about on gives us a great example of what that looks like yeah and i i think you know for for anyone else who's interested in in providing their feedback um you know when you email it to us or contact us i mean you can email uh your cl- audio clip to six cents report at gmail.com or or inbox us on facebook or or twitter again at slash six cents report no numbers all letters um you know, indicate whether you want us to say your name or put your name in the audio clip or in the email, um, you know, where you're from, any of those details that you want us to put on, make sure you, you provide that so we can include or exclude as, as you desire. So, uh, Darnell, what are we talking about today, man? 
uh, we are talking about uh, slavery in Libya. Uh, so today we're, yeah, so we're looking at the slavery in Libya. So on November 14th, 2017, CNN broke a story about slavery being practiced in Libya. And it raised a lot of good questions among Canadians, like who was doing the enslaving and how can this be happening in 2017? So I'm just going to give just a brief background on how we got, we got to this point. Yeah, because it's one thing to get the news article and like, okay, this is what's happening. but as a historian, you want to ask, uh, how did we get here? So we don't get there again? Right. So it, it's pretty cool because at least now you can kind of like do your history and be like, okay, well, look, how, how, did, how did we get here? And You're how putting your education to work, brother. Uh, right, 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 right. Shout to Tyndale. We out you. All right. So in 2011, in t- 2011, the leader of Libya was Muammar Gaddafi. And he was overthrown with the help of a U.S. president, Barack Obama. So when he was removed from office, this gave way to uh, the rebel forces that are now scrambling to gain control of the country. Now, as far as Canada's role on the, the, the Canadian government website, they have an official statement that talks about its political engagement with Libya. And it says, in 2011, Through its role in NATO Operation Unified Protector, Canada was among the first countries to respond to the demands by the Libyan people for the democracy and freedom. Canada made a significant contribution to the success of the popular uprising and provided $10.6 million in humanitarian assistance. The government of Canada is committed to supporting the Libyan authorities during their critical transitional period in support of post-conflict stabilization efforts. Canada has allocated approximately $20 million to this effort. Now, keep in mind, what they're talking about is them putting money towards overthrowing Gaddafi, which means Canada kind of helped to create uh, the situation that's going on now. Yeah, and looking back, a lot of people will say it was creating the stabi- like the lack of stability that's given rise to a lot of the situation we're in today. Right. So then it goes on to say now its current relations, Canada's current relations with Libya is due to violence and insecurity, Canada closed its embassy in Libya in July 2014 and has temporarily relocated its operations to uh, Tanzania. This is a temporary measure and has no relation to our continuing and long-standing diplomatic relations with Libya. We will return to Tripoli when a secure and stable environment has been restored. So what we're seeing now is, yes, uh, the fallout with rebel forces scrambling to uh, gain control of uh, Libya. Now, when you add to that, the uh, refugees uh, who are fleeing uh, sub-Saharan Africa, which is uh, Ghana, Nigeria, uh, Eritrea, Ethiopia. You have uh, these refugees fleeing that part of Africa and trying to seek freedom in Europe. But in order to go get to Europe, they got to go through Libya. So what you have is smugglers now saying, okay, well, look, we'll, we'll take you there. 
But now what's happening is um, as the boats are heading out, they're being sent back because Europe is saying, okay, well, no, we can't, we can't take all these people. So now when the people come back to Libya, uh, this is where you have a population growth and an excess of people. Now, so for the smugglers and these rebel forces who are trying to go about their business of gaining back their country, uh, they have another situation on their hands where they have an influx of people that they don't know what to do with. So they sell the people. Uh, four hundred dollars a person. Well, four hundred dollars. The men are usually fetching, and the women are more. For uh, of course, the obvious reasons. Yeah, unfortunate obvious yeah. reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, the crazy thing is for me, I like. I, I mean, I generally avoid CNN, like the Black Plague, so I didn't really catch this info coming out. Um, my my exposure came from my my brother on Twitter at do gooda underscore Darnell tweeting out. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's just me hey, make sure you follow maybe it's just me but is anyone else noticing that the identity of the slave traders are not being revealed and i mean that you know my, my mind like when i read that i was like oh damn and and i know for me my thought was like when i think of slavery my mind automatically associates with with racism and you know i'm i'm you know maybe filling in a little bit of the details here as a as a good conspiracy theorist would do but you know my thought would be why would you want to leave out the the race of the slave traders when and and you know again as a good conspiracy theorist putting in the details i'm guessing it would be because it doesn't fit the narrative that we're in today which is around a lot of stuff around, you know, racism coming from white cops or, or from, you know, what, you know, the, especially when we look at slavery right. in, in America, right? right? Like, obviously, we're associating it with white racism. Um, but in general, it, it, by leaving out the race, they allow the, the emotions to be stirred up that we have towards racism and slavery in this particular issue. Right. Um, whereas if you bring in, oh, it's this rate, you know, this culture, slave trading, this culture and, you know, Arab and, and black are the two cultures involved. It's, it, there's a less of an emotional response as more of a, like, what's going on? You know, like there's, I, at least that's my interpretation and my, my rationality as to mm -hmm. why they would do this. Cause I, mm -hmm. I mean, in general, if I was trying to objectively provide information, again, this is, you know, what we said, one of the reasons in our intro podcast why we why we're doing this why we want to have these conversations is because we feel like the information is not given to us in like we're not given objective reporting we're given objective information with the subject in a subjective nature so object you know subjectively we leave out certain details mm -hmm. so that the information that might be objective is interpreted in a way we want mm -hmm. And and our goal here is to have conversations, to look at it all sides, to to represent the good, the ugly, you know, in a manner that's honest. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, looking at this, like, you know, do you think racism's involved? Uh, initially, I said yes, that this is a race issue. But then when I started to look deeper into it, I don't think it's a race issue. 
so we, so this is interesting because we we have a concept of slavery apart from racism. Can you have slavery apart from racism? And so as I was doing my research, uh, I came across uh, a book by Thomas Sowell called Economic Facts and Fallacies. And he says, while slavery was readily accepted as a fact of life all around the world for centuries at end, but slavery was under attack from the first draft of the Declaration of Independence. So why, you may ask? Well, because American whites were seeking freedom from the English oppression that would bring into question the freedom of black people as a whole. So racism became the defense for why blacks were not allowed to be set free. So this is my conclusion, that racism was not the cause of slavery, but was the result of slavery. And what I mean by that is context is key. So the context is freedom. So throughout the world, when racism was practiced and seen as something normal, there was no freedom in those countries or in, in, for in the slaves. Countries. Well, well, the context for slavery historically uh, was never freedom. There, 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 because yeah. those there's no that idea is still a foreign idea. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., when they were fighting to be freed from English oppression, that's when that idea of freedom was really and liberty was really being considered. Yeah. So now the question is, okay, well. The whites can be free. Can your black? Can the black counterpart be free? Yeah. Well, so of essentially, not. freedom. The freedom revolution that the United States was being built on becomes in this. It, it it is contrasted completely. And how do you resolve this dilemma? Where well, if we're pushing for freedom, how does this subgroup of people here not get the same freedoms? Right. So whites were being caught in their contradiction to say, okay, well, we want to be free. But they can't be free. So the apologetic, the defense for why black people cannot be free is racism, is that they're lesser people. So that freedom doesn't apply to them. Would you say, I'd flip that around a little. I would say classifying them as lesser then led to the re- yes, racism. Yes, yes, yeah, 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 yes, yeah, 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 right. So, 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 that, so that's what we see. So in this context with uh, the Arabs and the blacks in Libya, I don't think that this is a race issue because the context for them is there it's 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 not a it's not a a free country yeah it's a it's an it's about opportunity right like i mean they're they're looking to take advantage of a scenario to 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 survive right like do you think that they're acting rational now now i don't want a straw man the enslavers, because like I said, like here, here at the Sixth Sense Report, we want to steal man. We want to properly represent positions that we don't necessarily agree with. But I would say that the enslavers are acting rational in enslaving people. Uh, yeah, so they're only acting consistent with their circumstance, with their need, and with their beliefs. Um, now, again, I'm not condoning, condoning their actions. I'm just saying that according to their situation, they're doing what's, what's best for them. And keep in mind, Libya is a, is a Muslim country. 
So it's not built on the same foundations and the same worldview as, as us here in Canada or in the U.S. And like my man Nino said, Islam is not a religion, but it's a political movement, meaning that for in Islam, they don't separate faith and politics. That's one. For us here, we separate the two. Right? So so those things go faith and politics go hand in hand. For for the Muslim. Right, culture. right, right, right. So so the so so the, the point the point the practical point I'm making is that the there that freedom that they have in Libya is there is no freedom in Libya. It's not like it's like it is here. So like for example, Acts twenty nine network can't go into Libya and just start planting churches. It doesn't yeah. work that way. Yeah. Right? Right? And it's, and it's the same thing. Black Lives Matter can't just roll up in there into Tripoli and, and start holding up traffic or much less, you know, go to a speaking engagement and snatch a mic from a, from a rebel leader. Yeah. That, I mean, that's let, not happening. Let alone, you know, any sort of humanitarian engagement, right? Like you're, you're putting yourself in significant risk because they're, you know, just, it's, you know, Libya, it's like the crosshairs of everything right now when it comes to, to war. Right. Right. Like, I mean, you know, you're not going to be able to send Red Cross or United Way humanitarian efforts to, to free these slaves. Right. And, and if and if and, and in this case, when the U.N. has touched down for humanitarian efforts, they have to be accompanied with soldiers. Now, the soldiers aren't there to fight, but they're there to protect the U.N. workers. And, and I, wa I want to come back to to the, the aspect of. You know, when I asked you, is it rational? Are they behaving rationally? Because I think a lot of people use the concept of, or use the terminology of saying, oh, they're acting irrational um, in an imprecise manner of what the word actually means. Okay, unpack that. So when I'm asking if something is rational, I'm not saying, do I agree with it? Do I think that I would come to the same conclusions if I was in that scenario? The question becomes, did they logically deduce that this is the best approach? Now, I can say that I disagree with the deduction, but looking at their scenario, they're relatively lacking resources. They have an opportunity in front of them to increase resources. And when I say lacking resources, what I mean is they're spending resources regularly because they're in war. Like, you know, whether it's shooting bullets, whether it's food, you know, they're clearly not having a functioning economy. And so how do we continue to fund this project? Well, an opportunity has presented itself. So the reason why I wanted to come back to it is because I think we're calling, you know, look at the North America situation with like, whether you want to say it's the left versus the right or the pro-Black Lives Matter versus the anti-Black Lives Matter versus the alternative scenarios of like Bernie, Trump, Hillary, all these supporters that are like, you know, all over the place where it's like the someone on the other side is evil. They're irrational. They're stupid mm -hmm. versus like recognizing I have a different opinion than them. Mm -hmm. they, it is a reasonable assumption that this person is much like me, but they came to a different conclusion. And therefore, they rationally supported Donald Trump. I might not agree with the rationale that they used. Mm -hmm. I might say, well, you've dismissed a certain characteristic that he's portrayed that I think is more significant. Okay, cool. Like, 
great. That's a good point of disagreement. Recognizing that it's you're weighting different behaviors of certain people more than others. And so consequently, you come to a different conclusion. But we're throwing around the term irrational as if there is no logical reason for these people to exist because they just, obviously, I'm using hyperbole, but you're saying, oh, the only logical explanation I can have for Donald Trump supporters is that they're evil or that they're racist. Yeah, well, see, that's arrogant. Um, that's arrogant. And, and, and us here in the West, sometimes we, we're, yeah, we can be very arrogant in presuming that or not, or not making the effort to understand uh, another person's perspective in the way, yeah, in the way people do things, right? You have to make the effort. That's why I pointed out, like, okay, well, I don't want to straw man the perspective of the enslavers because I, like, I don't agree with it. But in order for me to really understand the situation, I really got to put my, mom, you know, as tough as it is to put to walk in their shoes and really look at the way they yeah, see things. If, if I had the beliefs they have, if I was in the context that they're in, would making the decisions they make be that far removed from the options I'd be considering? Right, because remember, these groups are fighting over a country. Like, for us, that's unfathomable. Like, we can't, we can't fathom that because the country's ours. Yeah. Like, the country's mine, the country's yours. Like, what? like, so we're not fighting over the country. Like, we, 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 gener- we as a community own it. There, there's like this. We I all mean, agree, but our civil war is ideas. Right. To some extent, people are no platforming. Right. Trying to no platform but, ideas. But, but, but when you think about when you think about what's at stake for the people of Libya and those groups, you can own a country. So whatever you got to do to climb that ladder and to take your opponent out. Even, even like, like we already know what economically speaking, war is expensive. You yeah. know what I mean? These things are expensive. So shoot, like, well, you know, I got to move some people. Well, and to some extent, it's just a matter of surviving financially or economically longer than my opposition, right? Because if they run out of money before I do, right, I win, right, right, right. Which is a sad part of of war in this world. I mean, right. that's where you know, without. Saving, let's say, saving this for another conversation, but getting into the whole concept of Team America World Police mm-hmm. in their, you know, constant war that's been going on. I mean, you know, last since 9 11, we've been in, you know, the, the West has been in war in some capacity across mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, president after president's lately been platforming, no one specific, <clears throat> Obama, mm-hmm. that he was going to pull out all the troops. Mm-hmm. We're still in war. We're still in the country he said we weren't going to be in. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, that, that aspect of yes. war is, a, like yes. I said, save that for another conversation. Yeah, right, I kind right. of platformed but, it a little I think, bit. I think it's good for, our, for the listeners and for Canadians to have a good understanding of foreign policy and how that works and, and our stance as Canadians and how we navigate that. Because, you know, you know, I'm seeing on social media like, oh, you know, Canada, we need to be involved and do something. Well, I'm like, okay, so now we're talking foreign policy. So, like, what what is our stance and how do we navigate that, right? So, for us, usually, traditionally, we, we've been uh, a peacekeeping nation, right? So, we, we like to, we want to Keep our minimal resources to the side until necessary. Right, but but uh, but uh, the the point the point I'm making is that there's no there's no 
um, perfect way to to slice it because part of it is you know the government has to do what's best for the people for for its country. But then also, you know, you're like, okay, well, there's also this moral responsibility to help others, right? And and how do we do that without uh, basically over overextending ourselves? Well, I think you the 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 simplest way. Um, and again, this is another conversation. Some another episode is is immigration. Mm-hmm. right and what's the right immigration policy i mean I, that's why i say the simplest way is because you're bringing people in mm-hmm. you're paying for or supporting them mm-hmm. to some extent at least temporarily to to live a different life right so if you see in libya like hey you really want canada to make a difference go petition your politician to accept more libyan immigrants or right. refugees right right like asking for us to go to you know destroy these people doing evil things across the world like you're asking people to do evil things or or even like, even let's even, get serious you're taking even, lives to do achieve your means right but even when you know when when i read the report uh, on on the government of canada website i it was interesting that they were saying okay like we we were involved in removing Gaddafi. now not to straw man or misrepresent the country, but I really believe that Canada was doing the best thing they thought possible for the country. Now, of course, you know, unintended consequences of 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 policies made. This is what this is what economics is about, right? So and and following how those those trends work out. So when you really look at it, you're like, well, yes, Canada had a role to play. Obama had a role to play. He, you know, he said on an interview in Fox News, like this is probably one of the worst decisions he he has made in office. Then we look at uh, Italy and saying, okay, well, look, we don't want the people, so then they're sending the people back. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, who, they, nobody really foresaw the people, the influx of immigrants coming from sub-Saharan Africa to go through Libya. So there was just so many dynamics playing. So please, please do not, do not have me out here is making me look like i'm i'm blaming canada for this whole um ordeal all i'm just saying is that um the situation is multifaceted and it's not as easy um to to call it black and white but we should be talking in matters of shades of gray well and and as we started about right like the idea of of history right i mean we always you've heard i'm sure everyone's heard the line like history repeats itself right but part of that is we have hindsight now we can look back and go you know what Having an evil dictator in a country that actually caused stability is is looking better right. than the disability or the lack of stability that exists today. Right, but 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 for us in the West, though, we look down on that because we're like, oh, we're a democracy, so democracy is better than well, we're, a dictatorship. I mean, in the end of the day, you're asking, you know, and again, different conversation. Mm-hmm. Should we engage in nation building? Right? Is that a is that a role that we should play? And that's why I said the simplest answer. If you have a problem with another country, is recommend more refugees, recommend more immigrants to come here, because you're saying let's give them our life, give it to them here. Don't don't try to make it exist over there. Um, you know, there was one other thing I wanted to talk on with regards to the racism. The you know because I think for some people they might even still be oh well you know the muslims are being racist to the africans that they're you know slave trading in this in right. this context and I think you know if I if you're in a situation where you know you got to make a decision between 
taking advantage of one community over another, you're going to take, you know, or, or even let's make it a less uh, complex scenario and just say when you're hiring somebody in a job or you're, you're trying to decide who to work with, you're going to be drawn to the person who you trust the most. And in general, you're going to be drawn to the person you trust the most who is most relatable to you. Now, that might be based on skin color. That might be based on culture. That might be based on playing the same sports as that person. It might be because they they think the way you do. So me as a financial analyst, if I'm trying to hire someone, I have an inclination to hire someone who's going to be more analytical in nature than someone who's art oriented and, and creative, right? That's just my nature because I feel like I know what they're going to do. And so that, that aspect of decision-making where you're, you know, deciding and, and maybe race ends up to some extent being part of that decision factor. I think sometimes we use that as like a discriminatory factor for decision-making and we turn around and, and, and automatically associate it with bigotry. Right. So it's motivated out of hate versus actually being motivated out of who do I trust? Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, when someone's saying, Oh, I decided to pick this person because I thought I could trust them more, that's an honorable thing. The concept, the problem is we just, we're looking for people hating on other people. We're looking for victims. Mm -hmm. And so rather than going, Oh, that person made the most sense. Right. And, and bring it back to this scenario, exploiting. A different culture made more sense, more different community makes more sense than exploiting a different, than this, than our own people, right? Like, sure, they could have sold their own wives and kids out <laughs> financial. Why would you do that? Right. Mm -hmm. It's not race-based. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, what made the most sense. Right. So, right. So, uh, to the listeners out there, if we missed anything, please, uh, we are not beyond correction. Uh, send in your comments, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Hit us up on Facebook. Let us know your two cents on this issue uh, and work it out together. Yeah, that was my two cents. That was my two cents, and I can't wait to hear your two cents. But you heard me? Does that make sense? I hear